0: Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. If our God deserves all the praise and all the glory, why don't we give him a hand clap of praise this morning? Uh, There is much to do, and unfortunately, not much time to do it in. Uh, So if you have your copy of God's word with you this morning, I want to invite you to turn in there with me to Psalm number 37, Psalm 37. We will be reading Psalm number 37, just two verses from it, verses 25 and 26. But we will be discussing in our sermon Psalm 37 in in its entirety. If you've arrived at that section of your Bible, or if you intend, like me, uh, to read the text from the screen, why don't you stand with me? As we read God's word, I want to remind you that more important than anything that I will say this morning is what God has already said in his word. So we want to read his word with reverence due, the word of God. The synonymous psalmist says this. He gives us testimony in verse 25 and 26. He says, I was young, And now I am old, yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging bread. They are always generous and lend freely. Their children will be a blessing. I want to hang my hat this morning on verse 25, his personal testimony. He, He says this, I was young and now I am old. Yet I have never, and never means exactly what we think it means. It means never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging bread. The word of God for the people of God this morning. What I want to do is I want to breathe a quick word of prayer. We'll invite the spirit into our midst. He's already present, uh, but we need the spirit's power so that the preacher can preach better and so that God's people can hear better. We'll invite the power of the Spirit and then through the power of the Spirit, hopefully I'll be able to deliver God's word as God intended me to deliver it. Uh, So let's go to God in prayer. Uh, Father, we come seeking you this morning. As we've confessed all of the glory belongs to you, Father God. We, we want you to receive all of the glory. We want you to receive all of the glory through our praise. We want you to receive all the glory through our giving, Father God. And now we want you to receive all the glory through the preaching of the word. It is my prayer this morning that you and you alone would be exalted as your word is explained. That your people would be different as a result of. Of the explanation of your word, and that we would go out into the world and make your world different because we now understand your word better. And Father God, we pray that as the enemy may be also present, Father God, that nothing of none of his schemes would arise to distract your people from hearing your word, including the failings and shortcomings of your preacher. that you would hide me behind the cross of Christ, so that your people would only be able to see and hear from you. And we pray this in the mighty and the matchless name of Jesus. And all who are God's people said, Amen. amen. You may be seated. Some of you may remember this, but it was known as the fat blocker. It was supposed to be this wondrous, miraculous drug that would allow people to eat whatever they wanted to eat without the worry of adding extra calories or extra pounds to their physique. The promise of this pill was that you can eat all of your favorite foods, all the fried chicken, all the pizza, all the cheeseburger, all the cake, All the ice cream, did I mention all the fried chicken? (laughs) And so long as you took this pill immediately after you feasted, you'd be guaranteed not to loot, not to gain weight. And you know me, there's two things I hate, dieting and working out. (laughs) So this pill was a dream to me. The first week, I went on an absolute binge. I ate everything I wanted to eat. Didn't worry about counting calories or putting on weight. I just consumed all of my favorite foods and took a fat-blocking pill soon after. But after the first week, I discovered that instead of losing weight, I had actually gained three pounds. So I decided to give this fat-blocking, magical pill one more try. I once again ate all of the foods that I wanted to eat. I took a pill thereafter, and the second week I discovered that I didn't gain three pounds. Instead, I gained five. Maybe I had done something wrong. So I said, let's give it one more try, one more week. This time, I didn't eat all the foods that I wanted to eat. I just ate some of the foods that I wanted to eat. And at every meal, I had a salad and a Diet Coke. And at the end of the week, instead of gaining five pounds, this week, I only gained two after taking the fat blocking pills with no results, I started believing something about this magical pill, that this pill was not capable of delivering on its promises, that it was not able to do for me what the infomercial claimed. I started to believe about this pill, that this pill, didn't work. And this is, unfortunately, how most of us have come here this morning, believing that something in our lives doesn't work. Instead of it being some magical pill, we've lost our confidence in the promises of God. You've been trying Jesus. You've organized your life according to his word and and you've believed all of the promises contained in the word, and you've practiced the principles of the word. But for all of your efforts, and in spite of the fact that you've followed the instructions precisely, none of what you hoped to happen as a result of your faithfulness and obedience has paid off. And worse yet, as you look out into the world, You see those who've not committed their lives to following God, those who laugh in the face of Jesus, enjoying all of the benefits that you thought were promised to you. And you've been trying to live faithfully according to God's word, not just for three weeks, some of you for three years five years, 15 years, some of you as much as 30 years, and you've not received the reward for your righteousness that you believe the word promised. And all of this has led you to this sad realization about the Christian life, that this life of faith, just like a fat-blocking Pill does not work. This describes you this morning. Then Psalm 37 is your Psalm. Psalm 37 comes from the pen and from the heart of a fellow believer who, like you, experienced all of the inequities of life, how the wicked are blessed and the faithful are distressed, and at times, He too has wondered aloud, does this life of faith work? But this fellow believer has lived long enough to realize that though a life of faith may be difficult, a life of faith never disappoints. Let me say that again. A life of faith may be difficult, but a life of faith never disappoints. Psalm 37 is written to encourage all of us who've ever felt tempted to look at our surroundings and question the effectiveness of living a life trusting in God. If you've ever felt that trusting in God doesn't work, Psalm 37 reminds us through the testimony of someone who has seen and experienced it all, that God never forsakes his people, that this life of faith really does work. The book of Psalm opens on a high note with Psalm number one do. Do all of you remember Psalm 1? Psalm 1 is what is called a Torah or a teaching psalm. And these psalms articulate God's intentions for the world. Psalm 1 serves as a hopeful introduction to the Psalter by proclaiming a blessing to and for everyone who commits themselves to following the will and the ways of God. Remember what Psalm 1 says, blessed is the man who does not walk in step with the wicked. Psalm 1 promises a fruitful life for all of those who avoid evil people and embrace the law of God. But soon after Psalm 1, the reality of life in the world in which we live sets in. And most of the Psalms that follow this initial Psalm of the Psalter, we find the Faithful people of God not enjoying the benefits of their faithfulness, but crying out to God for help in troubled times and praying to God to not let their enemies win. Psalm 1 of the Psalter is, opens book 1 of the Psalms. And book 1 of the Psalms are, are mostly laments, where we find the people of God complaining because life has not turned out the way they expected. And rather than receiving a reward for their righteousness, their lives are filled with trouble and distress. Psalms like Psalm 3, where the psalmist says, Lord, how many are my foes? And how many of my enemies rise up against me? Or or Psalms like Psalm 7, where the psalmist cries out, Lord, My God, I take refuge in you. Save and deliver me from all who pursue me. Or psalms like Psalm 17, Lord, hear my cry, hear my prayer. It does not rise from deceitful lips or or a psalm that, that all of us recognize, Psalm 23, where the psalmist cries out, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. After reading through, the first few psalms that come after Psalm 1, we almost forget about the hopeful introduction of Psalm 1. What happened to the promises of Psalm 1 that that if the righteous pay attention to the word of God, they will be like a tree planted by the streams of water which yield its fruits in season whose leaves does not wither and everything he does prosper? What happened to the wicked are like chaff, that the wind blows? What what happened to the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction? Because all the other Psalms seem to indicate the exact opposite, that the wicked prosper, but the righteous are left praying for help. After reading all the other Psalms that follow Psalm 1, we would be left thinking that the promises of Psalm 1 are nothing but wishful thinking and that a life of faith doesn't produce the things that we hope for. It only leaves us depressed and disappointed and that trusting God to do all the things that God says he would do is like trusting in a fat blocking pill just doesn't work. Psalm 37 picks up where Psalm 1 left off. And Psalm 37 is inserted to give the people of God the assurance that the life of faith really does work. And though at times it may seem different, you can always trust God to do two things. You can always trust God to judge the wicked and you can always trust God to bless the righteous. Psalm 37 contains some 40 verses, but these 40 verses address only two themes, two things that, that the psalmist wants to highlight. The first of these themes is that a lifestyle of wickedness always comes to a disastrous end. A lifestyle of wickedness always comes to a disastrous end. Throughout Psalm 37, the Psalmist is not afraid to address the fact that at times, life seems unfair. Verses one and two establish the perspective and tone that dominate the entirety of the Psalm. Verses one and two admonish the reader not to be concerned with the apparent success and triumph of the wicked because at times, from the perspective of the psalmist and from the perspective of most people who try to live a righteous life, the bad guys are winning. In verse 12 and 14, it's the bad guys who are allowed to attack the good guys and step all over the good guys. And In verse 16, it is the good guys who are forced to live off meager supplies while the bad guys have more than enough. In verse 32, it's the bad guys who are allowed to plot and set traps, while the good guys must stay vigilant and avoid ambush. And in verse 35, it's the bad guys who are flourishing and living well. The psalmist writes, I have seen a wicked, violent man, well-rooted like a flourishing tree. This is what seems to be the reality, not only in the psalmist world, but also in our world. At times in our world, the bad guys are living, are winning. Sometimes the worst people you know, sometimes the the worst people I know live some of the best lives that we know. And at times the people who don't care about God seem to be the people who live life most carefree. Why is it that the people who don't pray for things always seem to be the ones who get the things that they want? And why is it that the people who don't prioritize God and doing good in their lives are the people who seem to be winning most in life? There seems to be a disparity between the living conditions of the wicked and unrighteous and the living conditions of the obedient and faithful. And as much as we would hope would be otherwise, the disparity is not in the good guy's favor. I once read this ridiculous story of how the bad guys win at everything. There was a 19 year old high school student Who decided to break into his high school and steal some computers from the high school but as he was climbing on the fence on the uh roof rather to get into the high school he fell through the roof and wound up in the hospital you would think that after he recovered the first thing that would happen would be the police would be waiting outside his hospital door to arrest him and send him to jail. But but that's not what happened. Instead of the police waiting for him, there was a lawyer waiting for him. And he and his lawyer decided to sue the school. Remember, he was breaking into the school in an attempt to steal something. And you know what happened with his lawsuit? He won. He won $250,000. That's just the tip of the iceberg. For the rest of his life, the school has to pay him $1,200 a month because of his injuries. The bad guys seem to win at everything. This is all too common an occurrence in the world in which we live where people who are doing the wrong things are experiencing the right results. And this is the world that the psalmist observed where people can seemingly do whatever they want to and get away with it and are sometimes rewarded for it. It can seem at times that the bad guys are winning, the cheaters are winning, the scammers are winning, the side chicks, are winning. The people who talk behind your back are winning. The godless and the irreligious are winning, all at the expense of the people who are trying to be obedient to God and live faithfully to God. And the fact that the bad guys look like they are winning can shake our confidence in God. Psalm 37 opens, with the psalmist admonishing righteous people not to be concerned with the apparent success of wicked people. In verse one, there is a call for the people of God to no longer be concerned or agitated with the with what the unrighteous people are doing. To no longer allow evildoers to be the focus of our attention and far from being an an isolated call. It's a call that is dominated throughout Psalm 37, and in verse 11 the psalmist writes again, "Don't be agitated by evildoers." And in verse 7 the psalmist says again, "Do not be agitated by people who prosper in wrong ways." And in verse 8 you you hear this refrain, "Do not be angry or be enraged by evildoers. Do not be agitated. It can only" bring harm. Here's what the psalmist is saying. Quit checking their Facebook posts. Quit going through their Instagram pictures. Stop seeing what they tweet. Unfriend them. Unfollow them. Block them if you have to because the psalmist knows that nothing good can happen based on our preoccupation with the lives of people who aren't following God. It leads to anger It leads to jealousy, it leads to discontentment, and it leads to disillusionment, and it could even possibly lead to backsliding. And moreover, focusing on the apparent success of evildoers can blind us to what God is really doing in their lives. God has set them up so that he can bring them down. Psalm 37 gives us this assurance about the wicked. It may not seem like it from how some of them are living right now. It may seem as if they will carry on their carefree existence for eternity and never have to pay for their evil. But God has a plan that will bring every wicked person every evil person to destruction a plan that will expose all of their crimes and a plan that will cause them to receive the reward for their wickedness if you don't believe me ask Bertie madoff if you don't believe me ask harvey weinstein if you don't believe me ask jeffrey epstein if you don't believe me ask r kelly If you don't believe me, ask Donald Trump. These were powerful men who seemed to flaunt their wickedness in the front of the world and dared the world to do something about it. And worse yet, they lived lavishly, making their wickedness seem even more egregious. And there was a time when we looked at these men and we thought to ourselves that God would never judge these men because they seem to be above earthly justice and heavenly justice as well. But there is no one who is above heavenly justice. There is no one who is above the rights, the justice of God. And God has a way of humbling every wicked person. And when it seems that the wicked are prospering and God is doing nothing, Psalm 37 reminds us, just wait. God may be slow in bringing about his justice, but God is never negligent in bringing about his justice. There's just no direct correlation in the economy of God by the actions of the wicked and the judgment of God. There is certainty in God's judgment, but there is no immediacy in God's judgment. Some of you may have grown up in a house like I did where our wrong actions were immediately met with disastrous consequences. If I ever talked back to my mom, she wouldn't wait. Come right up to me, slap. If I ever failed to listen to what she said to me, she didn't wait. She'd just come right up to me and slap. If I ever brought home bad grades, she didn't wait. She'd just come right up to me and slap. If I ever walked in a house, A minute after my curfew, she didn't wait. She just walked right up to me and slept. And some of us expect God to be just like that. That immediately after wicked people do something wrong, God doesn't wait. He just walks right up to them and slept. But if God did that, with Every wicked person, none of us, would be here this morning. And you can't shout because God was patient with you and then become troubled because God is patient with everyone else. God may be patient in order to give people a second chance. Hallelujah. But God is never negligent. God's word assures us that God will bring every wicked person to a disastrous end. The eventual destruction of the wicked speaks of one aspect of God's character that Psalm 37 explores, God's justice. But there's another aspect of God's character that Psalm 37 explores. It's it's God's goodness. God's justice is seen in how he deals with the wicked, but God's goodness is demonstrated in how God handles the righteous. Psalm 37 argues that God will always bless the righteous. In verse 6, the psalmist writes that God will make the reward of the righteous shine like the sun. And in verse 18, the psalmist says, the blameless will spend their days under the Lord's care, and their inheritance will endure forever. But the high point of the psalmist declaring that God will always bless the righteous is the psalmist's personal testimony in verse 25. In verse 25, the psalmist has the opportunity to look back at the entirety of his life. And based on his testimony, we we would argue that that the psalmist is is aged, that this verse 25 doesn't make any sense. If the psalmist is is only 15 years old, it doesn't make sense for for a teenager to say, I was young. But now I'm old and I've never seen the, the righteous forsaken or, or their children begging bread. No, no, the testimony demands that the psalmist is quite aged, that, that this psalmist is a senior saint who has walked with God for years. There is a great deal that all of us can learn from senior saints. And and some of the wisest instructions that I've ever received in life came from people who had walked with God for a very, very long time. I've had senior saints come to me and give me the, the, the value, the, the treasure gleaned from their years of experience. I, I, I wouldn't be where I am today if those senior saints didn't instruct me. I, I had one senior saint instruct me on the value of integrity. He he told me, young pastor, never keep secrets because what you do at at night will always be brought to the light. Another senior saint instructed me on on the value of not caring what what people said about me. He said to me, it's not what people call me that bothers me. It's what I answer to that should bother you. Uh, another senior saint va- taught me the, the value of, of always making sure that, that I, I come home at a proper hour. He told me, young, young pastor, the only places that are open after midnight are places that, that you don't have no business going to in the first place. There is value <laughs> gleaned from the wisdom of senior saints. And there is no greater value gleaned from the uh, wisdom of senior saints than what the psalmist says in, in verse 25. He, he says that as he spans the entirety of his life, that he has never seen any evidence where God doesn't take care of his people. The, the parallel lines that that we see poetically written in in verse 25 is simply the psalmist way of saying that God always takes care of his people. What the psalmist has experienced is this, is that living righteously will always pay off. That there is a correlation between how the righteous live and God's care for the righteous. And this correlation is that If we take care of God's business, God will always take care of our business. Some of you just missed your shouting point. The correlation between living righteously and God is this. If you take care of God's business, God will always make sure that he takes care of your business. It doesn't mean that that God will make sure that we go through life luxuriously. But what it does mean is that there will never be a need in the life of righteous people that God doesn't care for. The word forsaken means to be abandoned or neglected. And it is something that it is impossible for God to do. In fact, God gives his own testimony in the book of Deuteronomy of how he will never abandon his people. The testimony comes as Israel is about to enter the promised land and they have, a, ha, have an opportunity to reflect on everything that God has done for them over the past 40 years in the wilderness. And God reminds them of his faithfulness. He says to them, you were in the desert 40 years And there, your shoes never worn out. They may not have had the newest Jordans or the newest red bottoms to wear, but God always made sure that their feet were protected. God says to the Israelites, you were in the desert for 40 years and you never had to worry about your clothes wearing out. Their clothes may not have been designer, But God always made sure that they had something to put on their backs. And finally, God says to the Israelites, he reminds them, you were in the desert. There wasn't no shopping stop in the desert. There wasn't a whole food in the desert. There wasn't a Trader Joe's in the desert. But every day you had something to eat. It may not have been the finest Wagyu steaks, but you never went to bed hungry. In the desert, a place where there were no resources around them, God reminds the people of his faithfulness. And if God can do that for people who were living in the desert, don't you think this morning that God can do that for you? And God can take care of you. And this is what the psalmist declares. He says that. He's lived a long time. He's been around people who didn't have the resources, yet God somehow always made sure that they had a roof over their heads and clothes on their backs and food in their bellies. He said he's been around people who didn't have opportunities Yet God somehow made sure doors were open that they couldn't open for themselves and positions were granted to them that they weren't qualified for. He says he's been around people who didn't have the knowledge, yet somehow God took them to places that they shouldn't have been and God put them in positions that they shouldn't have been. And because he has seen God bless people because he has seen God open door for people and because he has seen God put people in positions the psalmist says he knows what God can do he says he's seen too much of what God can do to now doubt what God can do and i may not be as old as the psalmist but i've got my my own testimony I may be relatively young in comparison to the psalmist. I may be relatively inexperienced in comparison to the psalmist. But I've seen God do the same thing. I've had the experience where mama didn't have food to feed her eight kids, but somehow, without a dollar to her name, God made a way for her to put food on the table. I've seen God do incredible things. I've stood in the bursar's office without a dollar to pay my college tuition. And somehow God made sure that I never had to drop out of school because of money. I've had my car empty on Monday and not get paid till Friday. And I've seen God carry my vehicle Monday through Friday until I got paid. I've seen too much of what God can do for me to ever doubt him. Is there anybody in here this morning who knows that God can make a way for you out of no way? Is there anybody here this morning who's had some dark days and some sleepless nights only to have God show up and take care of you? Is there anybody here who can say, like the psalmist, that God has never neglected or abandoned me? You can trust God. Faith in God really does work.